there's no answer to the question. It's just <laughs> was there even a question? <laughs> I don't know. Things. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Elevating the Genre podcast, and today we're with uh, special guests uh, from a theatrical production called The Geek Show, which is going on right now in San Francisco at Bindlestiff Studio. And uh, my guests are Lauren and Thomas and Nicolette. Did I get all that right? I, yeah. You got it. Great. It's going on uh, this week, second week of the two-week run, and I have a feeling it will go forward in some other formats or venue in the future. That's just my feeling. I saw the show and I uh, liked it quite a lot. It was a series of uh, short pieces and sketches, and they're all about genre-related things. Good representation of video games, also a bunch of comic books, science fiction, and fantasy. Good, funny theater entertainment. Now I'll just let everyone who's here introduce themselves uh, a bit. I am Lauren. I'm a writer and producer for The Geek Show. Uh, my name's Nicolette Dionisio. I'm one of the cast members for The Geek Show. And I also made props for the show and graphic design things. But, uh, I'm Thomas. Uh, I'm the lead producer of the show. This whole shindig was my idea in about 2008. I shared it with um, my co-producer, Mark Abrigo. And he and I would geek about this stuff for hours. Like, oh man, what if we did a show at Bindlestiff that was all about geeky stuff? And we shelved it. We shelved it for nine years. And um, uh, we only got to do it now um, because we only felt confident enough to do it now. Uh, Bindlestiff Studios is a, um, the epicenter of Filipino theater and Filipino arts in, in the Soma, in San Francisco. It's, um, we claim to be the only Filipino theater in the United States. Uh, though, uh, I don't know if, if, if that's uh, been updated since, uh, but um, we've been around since about 1989, uh, 100% volunteer-run uh, organization. We, uh, we support artists from all walks of life, um, and we tend to focus on uh, stories and you know, music and art uh, made by uh, and told by people of color, specifically mm -hmm. Filipino folks. Great. Are you all right here right now? Filipino claim Filipino is your main thing or no? I'm Hapa, so I'm part Filipino. Oh, okay. I have no choice. Yeah, I'm full Filipino. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's I'm what just, I claim. I'm a Chinese American dude. So yeah. I just, uh, I don't, mm -hmm. like to ask what people uh, claim or identify as. Um, our original goal uh, for doing this was, well, we fell in love with the process, you know. Um, we were alumni of a, of a different show called The Fob Show. That was here at Bindlestiff Studios. Mm -hmm. And it was a very collaborative experience. Um, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, we, we, we got the pieces and, and uh, we handed them to directors and we got actors to, to uh, do those pieces. We, we made everything in-house um, collaboratively. So we would um, discuss situations and um, create stories as a group, right? And, and Mark and I, we fell in love with that process and we thought we could do it again uh, with subject matter that we were really passionate about and that's what the show is. See, okay. you know, a, lot of our, uh, a lot of our old content producers, they, they left to you know, start families, pursue their career more, and so they needed new blood, you know? And they needed people who were able to create content and uh, we had uh, we had friends from the old days who remember me and Mark 
geeking out about this stuff, talking about the geek show, how, you know, oh, we're never going to do it. Well, they, they, um, they came to us, uh, one particular guy, his name is Chuck Luxon. He approached us and said, you guys, it's time. Do the show. Put up or shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he basically laid out how to do a show like this, um, what went into it. And, um, and he really gave us this sense that we could do it, and that's why we're here. And I was actually brought in within the last year. A friend of mine who previously was affiliated with the show, um, she reached out to me and said, hey, I'm with this thing called The Geek Show, and I think you'd be really interested in being a part of it, and we definitely need more female voices involved. And I thought, I don't know what this is, but sounds cool. So I went to a meeting last May, and I met Thomas, Mark, Mike, and... Were you at the first meeting? I might have been. I don't know. Okay, yeah. you might have <laughs> Like, we started talking and bouncing around ideas, and you had us do a writing prompt. Mm-hmm. And originally, funny enough, leading up to it, I thought that maybe this was a web series. Like, the Geek Show, it's like, you know, what could that be? And then I was told it's a theater production. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. this makes it all the more interesting. And I have a background in theater, so I thought, this is right up my alley, theater and geekdom i'm from a family of geeks so is this show is kind of really self-made family? yeah my my parents are trekkies okay and my dad um he saw i think all three star wars films the original ones on opening night oh wow yeah okay. and my mom has this memory of bringing my one of my brothers at the age of six weeks old to a star trek convention wow yeah so that all about that. Sounds very nurturing. Not <laughs> yeah. everyone can claim such a thing. Yeah. We find that a lot um, with our with our troop members. Uh, geekiness seems to run in the family in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Yeah. Oh, okay. Tell them about um, the posters that your dad had drawn. So yeah, this was like back in the the late eighties, early nineties. I was just a really little kid, and there were no Star Wars posters or Star Wars art to be found. The internet wasn't around. So if you wanted an image of, you know, Luke Skywalker, you either had to take a picture or you had to draw it out yourself. My dad is a pretty good artist, so what he would do is he would pause the VHS at just the right moments and just draw out scenes for me. One thing that really struck me about this show, Mm -hmm. and you know, I watch a lot of geeky superhero science fiction stuff. One thing that really stuck out for me was the idea of having a... uh, geeky or nerdy identity, which has a different place than you know, your identity and experiences as, say, a person of color or mm-hmm. a woman or all these things, um, you know, and I have my, you know, Asian American uh, person of color experiences, and they inform, you know, most parts of my life. Right, right. right. But, but occasionally when you're in this space of just uh, being among fans and something you love, mm-hmm. sometimes that disappears. And sometimes, you know, you're just all people who like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't disappear because it's still a thing that's hanging in the room. And so I, I think that's interesting uh, space where, you know, where you have to negotiate how much of what your, your true self you're deploying at any given moment. Yeah. I think it's, I think what you're trying to say is that it's a matter of being several things at once and then, or not being anything at all, right? Yeah, you don't want to be nothing at all. Or I mean, not <laughs> nothing at all, but just genuinely being, oh, I'm just a geek. My Asian Americanness didn't really converge or, or conflict with my um, with my being a geek and, until I started realizing that all my Dungeons and Dragons characters were white guys. So uh, me and um, Mark Abrigo, my my uh, co-producer, we actually have a long, long history of playing D and D. It's one of our favorite games. 
when we were younger, we didn't really think about it. Like, oh yeah, you know, I'll I'll be I'll be a warrior, I'll be a bard, and, you know, and we just focus on the class. But then we started to get really into the story and started to to really uh, flesh out like the psychodrama that that's happening beneath our game. And we realized, oh my god, we're all white dudes. We're a group of Filipino kids playing white dudes in a in a in a narrative because that's kind of the default character yeah that's the yeah. default character yeah. and you, you can't really blame them because like D&D it's based off what uh, medieval fantasy Tolkien-esque stuff um, and and we really yearned for more representation in, in this game that we love so we started playing um, uh, characters of color so there's actually a book um, in Dungeons and Dragons called Oriental Adventures and mm. they have like all these like eastern one. all these yeah, Eastern-themed classes. So, like, you could be a samurai, or you could be, like, a, um, a ninja. Yeah, right. who would... What, what would be the mm-hmm. Filipino D&D character class that's very, very Filipino-oriented? Filipino-oriented? Well, um, actually, that's, that's one thing sure, that I look for. Uh, it doesn't exist, but I would really like to see, like, an Escrimador class. Okay. Yeah, like, someone who's, who's really good at, like, close-quarters combat and, and does, like, knife and sword stuff. Okay. Like, like you know, the the Filipino martial artists used to do. Um, they they probably have like bonuses with weapons and bonuses with weapons, not necessarily um, with other things. I I don't really know, mm-hmm. but it, but it's like very weapon based. Yeah, very uh, weapon based. Um, actually, uh, Filipino right. martial arts. It starts. Uh, you start out armed, and then you work your way down to to not being armed, right? Oh. Because it's a it's like a true martial art. It it's it was used in war, so you had to be yeah. as lethal as possible right away. Oh okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I because I was otherwise I'm gonna say it's a very optimistic way of looking at <laughs> <laughs> situations. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely gonna be armed, but okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So I would like to see that class maybe mix in a little bit of. Uh, do you know what an anting anting is? No. Okay. Cool. It's like um. It's it's this uh. Filipino magical amulet. It's supposed to protect you. Okay. Um, and it's it's a big thing in, in our culture. Whether or not you believe in it, it'd be kind of cool to incorporate that stuff into D and D into that class, right? So we didn't have any of this stuff. We would have to like go home and homebrew it. Like, okay, maybe um, maybe uh, we'll take the fighter as a template and we'll switch out a few things and we'll make our own, you know, uh, our own classes based off you know what. Mm-hmm. Where we come from. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's the first time I, I noticed that um, that my my identity as a person of color was a thing. Okay. Right. Um, and just lastly, so what would the monster be in your D and D Filipino universe? I know you all have some monsters. We do, but actually, that's that's something we have some pretty terrifying monsters, but we actually never really incorporated those into our games. We would just use like the classic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, don't have to. Maybe that could be a good idea. Maybe that could be good. Maybe Another we could work on like, like, like Filipino the Filipino D and D. Yeah, you know what are Filipino monsters anyway? Aswan. The Aswan. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a vampire that cuts itself okay. in half and eats babies. Okay, I don't know flies. about the cutting in half part, but yeah, feeding on fetuses, yeah. Feeding on. And that was in an episode of Grimm too. Oh really? Yeah. Three wow, years I made it to Grimm. It, like the creature made an appearance in an episode of that TV show Grimm a few years ago, and uh-huh. the mm-hmm. whole Asian American community went nuts for that show. I don't really watch it. My dad does, but one of the main characters in that show is Filipino. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I'm Papa, so I'm Filipino and I'm white. But mm-hmm. I grew up in a predominantly white household. My Filipino heritage didn't really play a role when I was growing up. So I don't know if I could say I was colorblind, but maybe I could get say. That was probably as close as I could get to being colorblind because 
for the longest time, I did not realize that there weren't any girls on TV, let alone film, where I thought, oh, she looks like me. Hmm. They were all white, like full white. And, you know, I think it didn't really start to hit me until I was about 13 for two reasons. One, I saw Whale Rider for my first time, which is now oh, one of my favorite Whale films. Oh, Whale Rider. That's a great And story. that was the first time I saw a girl that looked like me, a little brown <clears> throat> girl. Throat> she wasn't Filipino, but, you know, she's from an island. I have ancestry from an island. And mm-hmm. It's like, I looked at her and I thought, she looks like me. And then later when I found out that the actress, Keisha Castle Hughes, is also mixed, I thought, oh, this is perfect. That's awesome. And then also at 13, that's when um, Avatar The Lost Airbender aired, or when it started airing on Nickelodeon. And when I saw the characters, Katara and Sokka, again, I thought, you know, if I wore their costumes, I could probably look like a member of the Water Tribe. <laughs> so that's when it really started to hit me where I thought, you know, there aren't that many girls that look like me on TV. Hmm. Not just in appearance, but in persona as well. So Katara is the only waterbender in the Southern Water Tribe. And okay. in the first season, they spent the journey going up to the Northern Water Tribe. And Katara wants to get better at her waterbending ability. Um, it involves going to a lot of context for those who are not familiar with it. So. I'm not going to get into it right now because it'll just take way too long. <laughs> but anyway, there's this one episode near the end of the first season where she's at the Northern Water Tribe and she wants to learn water bending, but she's told no, women and girls are not allowed to learn how to use water bending in combat. Mm. You can only use it for healing. And even though she does have healing ability, she's like, no, I don't want to learn how to heal. I want to learn, I want to learn how to fight. And then there was this one moment where that. Um, the wirebending instructor is telling her off and saying, no, you can't do it, go back to the healing hub. And she, just like she just has it. And she tells him, I'll be outside if you're man enough to fight me. And like that whole sequence after the fact is just, was just so cool. I just loved seeing that. And by the end of that episode, she started learning to become a true wirebender. Yeah, that was just a defining moment for me in terms of seeing characters like that on television. So back to the Geek Show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about his show. Uh, maybe I'll just go through some of my notes and the sketches without uh, spoiling the hell out of everything. And um, sure. it starts with a Dungeons & Dragons yeah. sketch, which I liked a lot. <laughs> it's the bookend. It's the, the, it's the bookend. Um, and uh, this is one of the ideas that um, we came up with at... Our meetings in the food courts at the Metreon. My God, have we come a long way? Um, and and we just we just like spitballed all these bad ideas. And I think one of one of them was uh, Tito Boy becomes a dungeon master. Okay, wait. And just for clarification, Tito Boy is Tito Boy. Oh, he's a. Uh, um, I should say Tito Boy is a recurring Bindlestiff character. He's oh. just that. He's oh, just yeah. that like uh, that slightly alcoholic, slightly lecherous Filipino uncle mm-hmm. who you find at all the parties. Who, all right. who you know, who tries to be the cool guy, but is just sort of a dork. Cyclops playing mahjong. That was a very nice phrase. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I guess I guess that speaks to our um, our worlds colliding, our Filipino world colliding with with D and D in a very in a very visual way, and uh, Tito Boy trying to take on the role of dungeon master. But can one person play Mahjong by themselves, never mind the Cyclops? Oh, that's a bother. That's <laughs> <laughs> one reason it stood out. Oh, and it probably means that solitaire Mahjong that you like play on the app. Hey man, whatever. maybe it's Cyclops Mahjong. You don't know how or those guys play, yeah, it's true. play Mahjong. Yeah, maybe they got the wrong little way of doing it. Okay, great. So, um, going over the 
Geek Show program, Geekdom Breakup Part 1. We needed time to come up with, uh, to allow for transitions, and we didn't want the audience to sit there bored for too long, so we came up with these, like, these short little uh, vignettes for, uh, to cover up our transitions, basically, and to allow for more time uh, for um, costume changes and whatnot. That one is in, put involved Pokemon, right? Yeah, that one involved Pokemon. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Do mm-hmm. you think specifically the game or the toys or the whole culture or just everything? Uh, it was with the anime series. That oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because Ash is basically Peter Pan. He doesn't grow up. Mm-hmm. This piece actually resulted uh, from an exercise that we did. We just had everyone write a breakup letter to a geekdom that they, start, they, be, they started loving but then uh, eventually kind of fell out of love with. I really liked the Mass Effect sketch because I'm not personally a Mass Effect player, but um, mm-hmm. people are always saying it's a great game. Mm-hmm. And so I feel I got a good condensation of <laughs> some of the big issues of Mass Effect without actually going through the hours myself, and I really appreciated that. Oh, yeah. awesome. Cool, yeah. yeah. That's a sketch with uh, where the audience chooses, right? They can influence the end of the sketch. Um, and three of the four choices are actually, like, legit choices. They'll either... Either a cosmetic choice uh, with the the gun or the um, or the person the yeah, the the, per- the actor you choose as captain, or um, a straight up plot choice uh, whether um, you side with someone or not. Some of those choices are meaningful. Some are some are some are not, and that's sort of just how the game is. Um, and I wanted to put that on the stage. I really wanted to reach out to the audience and say, "You you are in charge of this. Mm-hmm. How is it going to go?" Yeah, so so it's fun, and uh, I was actually really nervous about that piece. I didn't think it was gonna it was gonna get a lot of traction, but um, I'm glad that people are enjoying it. I'm yeah, glad that great. people are 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 yelling shit out at the appropriate times. Yeah, something I didn't expect too is like when their choice gets picked, like everyone starts applauding and cheering. I'm like, oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that either. Yeah. I, I never noticed because I'm backstage listening. Um, Gratification. Yeah. <laughs> what we do notice is that uh, people tend to go with the same things every night. Like, uh, no spoilers, but like uh, one of the very, uh, the very first choice that the audience makes is uh, whether the, the captain is going to be a male or a female. Um, and, you know, San Francisco, we always go female. Hmm. Every night. Stefan has never been chosen <laughs> yeah, to be the captain. Mark, Mark, even Mark, yeah. who's um, like doing the narration for it, he said it once, how very San Franciscan of you. <laughs> And it's weird because during the times that I was here for to witness the, rehe- the rehearsals, it was always, they would always do it with the guy. Wait, you're saying during the rehearsals, there was... No, we tried to... No, 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 no like the times I was here. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. In the times I was here, it was always with the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, not to say they wouldn't do it with her at all, <laughs> otherwise, you know, she wouldn't be... Prepared. Yeah. Right. <laughs> was that the one with the funny Canadian? Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, outer, outer Space Canadian? Uh, the Space Canadian. A space Canadian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Space Canadian. And the hideous alien. Yes. Yeah. Space Canadian is or isn't something that is an actual Mass, mass Effect. No. It's not Mass Effect. <laughs> no. Just, this is something. I'm not okay. Sure okay. Yeah. Up with a space Canadian. I'm not sure either. <laughs> Apologies to all Canadians everywhere. <laughs> okay. No, that's a great gag. Um, Resident Evil with Lolo. That's. Uh, I should say that that's a completely true story. I didn't make anything up for this piece. I just. I just told it as it was. My my grandfather really did come back with a PlayStation and a copy of Resident Evil, and I was scared to shit of it. Um, and um, the only way I got through such a scary game at such a young age was because uh, my grandfather, Lolo, right, um, guided me through it. 
told me all this stuff that I, all this wisdom that I carried on later in life. Tribe Wars. Mm. Um, we wanted to talk about... That was the one that takes place at Comic-Con, right? At well, a at convention. a convention. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they, they do specifically mention the whole age. So yeah. It's got to, it, <laughs> oh. it actually has to be Comic-Con. It, it literally <laughs> has to be Comic-Con. I'm, sure, yeah. I'm just going to freak out by that <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, we wanted to have a piece about how um, geeks can bicker over dumb shit. We could have probably framed this in a bunch of different ways, but um, we wanted to address tribalism in geek culture and how people can get caught up in, you know, in, in what they, in their identity and what they consider to be their group and how it can turn them into douchebags. The insults geared towards the fantasy or science fiction camps were especially sharp there. Mm -hmm. The second break, geekdom breakup was... Uh, it was Sword about Sword Art on Online. That's probably our, our deepest reference. Oh, I'm yeah. glad people you said got it. it. Some, yeah. people Some people got it, but that's something I've heard of, but I don't actually know what it is. Yeah, oh. it's I a, didn't know what it was. It's there. an anime about these people who are playing an MMO, and all of a sudden they're stuck inside it. And in order to escape, in order to stop playing, they have to keep continuing through the MMO or something like that. Yeah. But it um, sounds cool, but it has a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, it's a very problematic anime, from what you I mean, hear. Like inherently addictive, like where it like. No, so like, like as in, um, it, it's, uh... As far as storytelling? It's like an MMO that, um, that comes with, like, a, I don't know, like a helmet thing or something. <laughs> it, it basically puts you inside the oh, game. Okay. Distinguished competition, there was, uh... DC Comics, but it could have been, it could have been any. It could have yeah. been Marvel. Um, it could have been any superhero-based. Casting woes, how, how it's really difficult to have an Asian... I mean, an Asian protagonist, sure, but I feel like there aren't a lot of Asian men in cinema, you know, in Hollywood anyway. But in this case, it was particularly on how they're in love, Asian superheroes. Fractals? I wrote Fractals. I think it's one of the more subdued and kind of the more weird pieces, where it starts off with just like two fans of Miyazaki chatting over a film program they want to put together, but then it goes a little deeper when one of them is distracted from looking up sheet music from a film score, in this case Rogue One. And then it gets into this conversation about appreciating the subtle little details in TV and cinema. Is there any special reason that Miyazaki and the music for Rogue One are juxtaposed like that? No, it just like with Miyazaki, I wanted, we hadn't included Miyazaki yet in it, so I thought, well, why not frame it like this first just to see that you're they're your typical geeks in the sense of Miyazaki films but I don't know I like I wanted to branch it into something different by including the Rogue One score that was actually a bit autobiographical not so much the conversation but the subject matter that was being addressed mm -hmm. the fixation on, on little things yeah and how she feels so hesitant about revealing it because I was ostracized a lot for my interests growing up no, I couldn't really find anyone to connect with over. There was only one. I feel I could sum up the basic premise and joke in almost all these sketches. There's only one where I didn't exactly even get the concept. And I think one? it was The Last Refuge, which was closer oh, yeah, in always. the second part. <laughs> had, that had an excellent Dark Phoenix cosplay, but it had many different worlds colliding. Uh, just for, uh, at the moment, the only one I recall is the Dark Phoenix cosplay. Curve. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably why. It was very bright and shiny. Bright and shiny, yeah. 
Blast Refuge. Uh, cryptic. Loud. Well, I guess apparently the guy that wrote it, Ed Mabasa, he's known for making really out there uh, pieces. Mm-hmm. So um, Thomas reached out to him. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Ed uh, Ed Mabasa is a uh, is a Bindlestiff favorite. Bindlestiff is big on doing these like short vignette shows, you know, ten minute plays, yeah. ten minute play festivals, and um, you will see a lot of these festivals happen, um, and a lot of these pieces. Not not bashing on anyone, but they tend to be run in the mill. And then you get to an Ed Mabasa piece, and it's just about it's about like two vampires trying to kill each other, or just like the the craziest shit. So when we were doing this, um, we knew right away that we wanted one of his pieces to be on our stage. Okay. And so we reached out to him, uh, out to him personally. Like um, he and I had dinner um, in January, and I told him, Ed, you need to write us a piece. I'm going to give you a prompt. I'm going to give you the prompt of monsters. And uh, Last Refuge is what he came up with. And now, um, I, I had a little bit of trouble uh, at first trying to figure out what it was about, but Ed works in high-end retail. He, uh, he, high-end retail. High-end okay. retail. He, he complains about really spoiled people <laughs> and having to interact with them and having to sell things to them. And um, he tells us how spoiled people can be. And I think Ed is a guy who has had to compromise... His uh, his creative aspirations to, you know, to to survive to make a buck, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, I think Last Refuge is uh, his way of discussing that. You know, um, uh, mm. these the the characters have to give up the thing that that you know gives them life creatively. They have to give up their creativity in order to survive. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how I interpret it. Maybe there's like another interpretation that Ed knows that that he keeps to himself. Spoiler alert is about how um, this couple gets into a fight over TV shows. You know, it's very nerdy. Oh my god! So um, that one was very clever. I like how it explores um, shared experiences, specifically TV shows, as like another dimension of a relationship. Uh, like you know, like eating together. Um, spending time together, watching TV shows together is all of a sudden this <laughs> this important thing. Exploring the awkward politics of binge watching, is it fair to say that? Sure, yeah. Exploring the cardboard night, bullying. Um, and a dance have, piece. It's dance a, piece. Yeah, it's a, a movement piece. piece. Yeah. We knew that we wanted a movement piece in this show. One day, Mark um, messages me and he, and he tells me, because we were struggling with this story about the cardboard night, this kid that you know, uh, goes to class in this cardboard outfit, and uh, one day he he told me, Thomas, let's do it as a movement piece about bullying. This kid gets beat up because you know of uh, how he likes to express himself, and um, it's actually kind of a personal piece. I don't want to talk about it too much without Mark here, but um, he was bullied as a kid, and um, so he drew on a lot of his own experiences when when um, coming up with that piece. Cockblock about the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Cockblock is uh, our piece about um, uh, sexism. These two uh, pro-female gamers are in line to enter a tournament, a gaming tournament, and um, the bouncer doesn't believe that their passes are real. A- the way we wrote that, um, we had all the women in the geek show at the time enter a Google Hangout session, and we just had them talk talk for about two for two hours mm-hmm. about like sexism in in the geek community and uh, we had no peace at the time we didn't know that we were going to frame it around this um 
this gaming tournament. But we just had we just had everyone complain, and me and Mark were in the room and we were shocked at at the stuff we heard. You know, uh, like uh, like all the all the lines that the bouncer says, like oh you know um, something like quiet babe, the men are talking. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our troop members, Sasha, she she actually brought that up. Like she's been told that before. By someone mm. and we're just like wow that happens in our community mm-hmm. that's awful so we wanted to take all those experiences and put them into one piece and that's what we came up with i don't even know what overclock is is that a real oh we, <laughs> it's a parody of overwatch an actual video game i mean I, I assume it's basically overwatch like fps shooter uh, thing, team-based yeah it's a team-based shooter we wanted to um collect these genuine experiences and and put it into a piece where um, we could sort of display them and we could have the the female protagonists have their way in the end, you know, get into the tournament, show how sexist this guy was being, and yeah, just have the last laugh. And yeah, I'm really proud of that piece because that's sort of what we were going for with this show. Um, we wanted to, to lampoon um, geek culture. We wanted to point out... Um, a lot of the problems, and there are a lot of problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. What did you think of the uh, the hentai piece? <laughs> oh, that one was really good. Uh, <laughs> very basically, guys, we're um, <laughs> breaking up with this fixation on on hentai. Hentai thoughts. Well, yeah. I mean, All right. one, All right. one thing. First reaction was just hentai as a general word, and then perhaps we understand it as the sub. Uh, what do you call it? Subgenre of porny anime, right? Mm-hmm. It's also just this word that is used in Japanese for all these different things. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it has like as many variations as the word weird does in English. <laughs> like it can be just like, oh, that's that's kind of weird or it's like, well, that, you know, that's anime tentacle porn. Um, and this is, me, this is me not even knowing Japanese, but sure, I know sure. like three words in Japanese, but for some reason that's one of them because <laughs> you know, it's one of the things I know about. So, uh, linguistic nitpicking aside, that sketch was pretty funny. Um, Why, what was the... Well, um... Probing for? That was actually sort of a a last-minute addition. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to end sort of the other... uh, The way the other letters end. You know, the guy just walks on, uh, talks, and and walks off. But we actually actually added that last bit because we needed to extend this piece by one minute to give one of our actresses time to change. Oh. Yeah. That was a challenge. Like, okay, this guy, this guy's breaking up with hentai, and this is a breakup letter. What could possibly happen? And then um, one of our troop members, uh, Risa Donato, I think um, I think that's her last name. Did yeah. I say that right? Okay. Risa, uh, we were all hanging out at, um, at a fashion show, and she said, what if hentai herself came out and stopped the breakup? Mm. Or tried to. Or tried to stop the breakup. The fact that it was extended like that, I thought that was very creative because it makes it a little different from the first two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's a development of the first two. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of break that expectation. Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant thing that that she came up with, and I I really wanted to incorporate that into the the show. We We got the tentacles from Florida. There's a nice woman out there. Who makes, I get all my tentacles. <laughs> yeah, that's where, I mean, the best the best stuffed tentacles always come from Florida. Everyone knows that. Lauren, you have a video piece about Star being Wars. a Jedi, more or less. 
So, like, while I wanted to perform on stage with everyone else, their rehearsals ran very late. And I don't live in San Francisco. I live um, elsewhere in the East Bay. Okay. So I couldn't attend them. But Thomas was suggesting early on that maybe we could do some video pieces. And mine wound up being the only video piece. Um, but this was, like, my one excuse to perform. When I was very young, I, I don't know, I was kind of a lone wolf. So... Like, I didn't really care too much about people knowing that I liked Pokemon or Star Wars. Because um, there wasn't anyone around really to give me a hard time about it. Mm. Actually, um, when I was nine, this is so weird, but I actually wrote my own version of the seventh Star Wars film. And I sent it to Lucasfilm, cool. <laughs> hoping that they would turn it into, <clears throat> into a film. Um, and then they returned back saying, Lovely can't accept unsolicited material. But we that would have worked for Ray, by the way, because she's just wanted a force. And actually, one of the characters in that script was a force-sensitive girl who mm-hmm. does wield a lightsaber. So that's like the only two things that that script and the real seven film share. So this was in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, you're passionate about this, about telling stories, and I encourage you to continue doing that. And the letter ended with, may the force be with you. I still have that script, and I want to dare showing wow. with that now. <laughs> oh, we, my God. Can we do it for Geek Show, too? Hell no. <laughs> no way. It's really embarrassing. No, that's excellent. Yeah, well, we spoke about this through Young MF. That's how we know each other, guys. Dominic <laughs> and I are Young MF writers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, that's one thing. We, I'm talking about the blockbuster showdown for Rogue One. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, there were, like, five or six of us on that thing. Yeah. Right, and we all we were only typing the thing, so I didn't know it was you. Do we do we agree or disagree on that one? I, I think we all agree that yeah, there were some parts that clearly could have been better, but overall it was pretty awesome, and that there it was really cool to see Asians in leading roles. Finally, yeah, for Rogue One. Wait, yeah, what did you one. like about Rogue One? It was like oh, it wasn't me. It was like other people who were saying otherwise, like saying oh, the beginning or like the first one third of it was really slow. Oh come on. Such a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that um, with the first two films, as in Rogue One and The Force Awakens, it's so weird doing the saga and standalone films at the same time. Mm-hmm. Originally, I was hesitant, especially since Disney bought yeah. the rights. And so I'm thinking, oh, what are they going to do? Uh, but now that I've seen two films after the fact, I thought, okay, I like the direction this is going in. This is going to be become something really cool. I, I like both films equally, but in different ways. Like, oh. you can't really make any comparisons because they're so different in tone. Like, I guess so. Sure. I think, maybe I speak for a bunch of people when I say that The Force Awakens is very reminiscent of the original trilogy. Maybe it's in the matter of playing safe after the disastrous prequels, but whatever. I still liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rogue One was very much a war film. It really put the war in Star Wars. Yeah, I like I like how they were both executed, mm-hmm. and like everyone else, I freaked out when the Last Jedi trailer dropped. Yeah, what what, what kind of freak out? A good kind of freak out, <laughs> just like oh my gosh, finally it's out. War Mark Hamill. Yes, <laughs> he talks. He talks. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. he did way more in that trailer than he did in all of Force Awakens. <laughs> I happen to think Rogue One is a much better movie, and yes. uh, but I am looking forward to. Um, the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi quite a lot because I like that director a lot. I think he's great. Rian Johnson. Mm. His movie's brick. He did some episodes of Breaking Bad. The guy's 
great. Um, and you know, Force Awakens, okay, but I had this huge hissy fit. Like the when I saw the the opening night, this is at um, one of those theaters, you know, where you can get drunk. You at. saw that Alamo, Alamo. Alamo, right? Yeah, I saw that at Alamo. Yeah, same here. Are you there? Okay. Did you get the glass? I no, I did not get the glass. Were, no. were we there on the same night? Possibly <laughs> the opening night of Force Awakens. That's one. At this point, it kind of sounds like it. That was a that was a good idea at the time. But then I decided a few too many whiskeys and just at the and I apparently I was like screaming things at the screen and then someone turned around and like told me to shut up. Was it you or no? No, I, I didn't was, do that. It was some. I would have said that, but no, it wasn't me that night. Yeah, so it was like Dude, you were talking way too much, and way too audibly, and I don't quite have a recollection of this. And it was at the very end, which is probably good or bad thing because at least in the movie. Can I ask you why you liked uh, Force Awakens a little less than? Uh... Oh, because fucking Kylo Ren guy is just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> he's very divi- he's a very divisive character. I mean, uh-huh. like you yeah. know, some people are like, oh, it's so good that he's like this, you know, white sensitive emo <laughs> force of evil. That's aggressive, and they also like him because he's in that show Girls. Mm-hmm. And but I just cannot take him seriously just like for like, yeah my mom was very critical of like he does not look anything like Han and Leia how is yeah. he their kid yeah it basically it all went downhill after he took his helmet off and showed his shining beautiful <laughs> like, like everything was pretty good up till then it was like uh, this is, yeah this... I was like Ray why did you tell me to do that oh, of all the things it's like I was like, oh, put it back on, put it back on. Put it back on. And we're going to have to see more of that guy, too. Yeah, because we see, like, in the trailer for The Last uh, Jedi that yeah. the helm is destroyed. Right. I think my, my main problem with it, I, I love Rey as a character. I want to see her work for it more. Because, like, she, she just got all these powers, like, right away. Like, there's no tension. Mm. Like, I, I want to see her, I want to see her, her fuck up that first, you know, uh, Jedi mind trick thing. Um, sort of the way we saw Luke. You know, mm. he, couldn't, he couldn't balance all these rocks. Uh, at the same time, so they all fall. Mm. Um, I'd I'd really like to see her um, uh, be given more of a struggle because, like, when she can pilot the Millennium Falcon perfectly right away, when she you know has access to all these Force powers, she didn't even level up <laughs> to to get all that stuff. It's just like, well, okay, then you're you've got all this stuff. I I want to see the journey. You know, okay. I really get to see that. I I think that's what's going to happen. In the Last Jedi. We're going to really see her. Mm-hmm. Work right. If they're if they're sticking to the uh, the the three part hero's journey thing, we're gonna mm-hmm. see her hit her nader. Uh, it's it's gonna be kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a much darker story, hopefully. But, yeah. I've heard that one before, and that one has never really bothered me. I mean, I just she's just strong with the force, dude. Well, yes, which would be weird in a normal mm-hmm. movie, but she's strong with the force, and that's what's strong with the force. Do people. you do you remember? Yeah, uh, they pick things up quickly. Do you it's remember? not like she doesn't have problems. She sure. lives on that shitty planet. The scavenger. Like, I thought the whole scavenger thing sort of established her problem set in the world. And, you know. Do you remember that, that movie uh, starring Scarlett Johansson, Lucy, where she has all these powers? Mm, oh, yeah. Hell yeah. 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 Did you like did it? Did that one in Yum Yum F2. Did, oh, did really? you like it? Uh, no, they had a wonderful rant about how stupid Lucy uh. was. <laughs> well, I mean, she got all of her powers right away. I mean, it's just like, what's, what's the point then? We don't get to see the, the progression of, uh, if she's strong with the force, then we know that she can beat the bad guy, like from the start, right? If I'd like to see her, I'd like to see her fight for it more. I'd like to see more of a back and forth with with these powers, you know. Mm. Well, you could go with Han Solo, where he goes, "That's not how the force works." <laughs> 
But maybe it does. <laughs> and, you know, to give to give Ray the benefit of the doubt that, you know, while I think she is going to be struggling more in The Last Jedi, in a way, she kind of already was. I don't remember who was who said this online, but she already was kind of struggling from the moment we met her. Because, yeah, she's on the desert planet, which is pretty reminiscent of when we first met Luke, but he was brought up by relatives. Ray was. was by herself. He was. And yet yeah. he was being like hella whiny, right. but she's just like keeping it going day by day. Right. And we all know that, you know, it's supposed to be like a sad thing that he's an orphan, but we know that, like, you know, being brought up by your auntie and uncle is just like a pretty good life. And technically, <laughs> right. Luke wasn't an orphan. His dad was technically alive. Oh, right. He was even orphan. Spoilers. He was an adopted. He was a giveaway. <laughs> a giveaway. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what you call those people. That was exactly the wrong You word. win this force sensitive baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, feel, feel free to jump in with any thoughts, but I'll sort of move towards our, uh, a wrap-up thought, which is just um, what are you doing in the near future? Do you have any dream projects related to the show or, uh, or other things that you may be uh, shooting for? Well, Geek Show will be showing on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 8 p.m. These are the last three performances, so you can buy your tickets at browntickets.com at Bindlesip Studio. Oh. Are we gonna do a second one? Um, I think <laughs> I think uh, it's it's very very likely we're gonna do a second one. All right. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something I haven't mentioned on her yet. I'm an author, and I I published two books already. I'm working on my third one right now. Oh great. Maybe just search my name, Lauren Lola. It should pop up. Well, the first one is called A Moment's Worth, and it's a very experimental novel. And there are several components to it, but it mainly focuses on how we're all interconnected. And then the second one, which came out last fall in Absolute Mind, it follows a college student who has a mental ability called Absolute Memory. But there are these people who want to kill people like her. So she's taken to a secret island for her safety. But when she realizes who's in charge of the livelihood there, she realizes she has to do something. It's really hard to to think of a future after you are given the opportunity to work on your dream project. It's just like, well, what do you do now? Shit, it's done. I think what I'd like to do with this is to, well, one, uh, continue doing it at Bindlestiff, maybe as an annual kind of thing, bring the troupe back um, uh, every six months and then just come up with more material to put on another show. We are also affiliated with this uh, comedy group called Comedio, mm-hmm. Comedio with a K. They do uh, uh, stand-up comedy at conventions, right? Um, and I think the convention scene is probably where we should take the geek show. Um, there are a lot of opportunities to perform at conventions. Sure. Um, and that, that isn't a market that sees a lot of theater. So we're thinking we're just the right group to do it. And so uh, the Geek Show will probably continue in some form or other as, as uh, the stage show, as it is right now, and also as um, uh, shorter um, segments um, during cons. Conventions are filled with talented, passionate people. I mean, you see that in the costumes. You see that in, in uh, a lot of the artwork. That, that these folks create. And so I think 
to introduce some of these folks to theater. Mm-hmm. Theater about stuff that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Have you anyone brought up the notion that, in, just in the title, that geek is this very, very broad thing now? I'm just curious what you think about that. Like, well, there, the we actually, there is a skit about that. Tom Brady is my waifu. Kind okay. of does focus on that. How how geekery can can encompass all these different things. I think I think it's a good title because we uh, a lot of things fall under the umbrella of geekiness. So um, it really gives us the opportunity to work with the most malleable clay there is. You know, and this is just me. I I think of this show as sort of um, sort of the odd egg when it comes to Bindlestiff. Uh, I know Bindlestiff sure. does some some really strange stuff, but they all tend to skew to to one uh, to a type of show. You know. Sure. Um, and I think we're the strange ones in the family. And uh, geek shows, I don't know if you guys know this, but geek shows used to be freak shows back in the day. Barnum and Bailey. Mm. Um, they used to be uh, sideshow attractions. That's what mm. geek shows were called. Oh, that was the literal word. The literal, oh, okay. the literal word, oh, word geek. So I think it, it's... Um, I think, uh, to me, it, it tickles me because it's like, oh, geek shows back then were, the, were shows about all these, you know, these sideshow freaks that were a family. Uh, here we are. <laughs> we're uh, the. I don't want to say we're the modern incarnation of that because that's kind of an extreme thing. But I like to think of a, ourselves as like the weirdos that that didn't really. <laughs> Basically, the definition. Mm-hmm. The definition has evolved. Yeah, and as I, words do. Yeah, I like to think of us uh, as a, a bunch of underdog weirdos who have the audacity to create art, and we're all here together doing just that. And on that note, uh, this has been another episode of Elevating the Genre with special guests from The Geek Show at Fiddlestiff Studios in San Francisco. And say bye, everybody. It's been great having you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good night. All right, and we'll see you next time.